I'm turning this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And we continue with our studies in uh, the Beatitudes, the blessings, the blessed believer. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy mercy. Well, friends, uh, this is all about uh, the merciful man, uh, the merciful uh, woman. And uh, we're going to be describing this uh, merciful man. hope you don't mind me using merciful man. I mean both. But uh, merciful man, merciful woman, the one whose heart has been made tender-hearted. Not natural tender-heartedness we're talking about here, but a spiritual tender-heartedness, one who has been made tender-hearted by the work of the Lord, by the Spirit of Christ, by recognition of all those previous beatitudes that we mentioned. He's been so humbled, he's been brought low, he's been emptied, he's been brought to see his need of Christ and salvation, and he's, he's found these things to be true, and he's changed. His heart is now a different person. He's not the same as he was before. Even if he was a gentle person before, even if he was a kind person in his unconverted days, what he had then, compared to what he has now, is different. It's of a different quality altogether. It's of a much higher uh, quality. But here, we're talking about this merciful man, the man uh, who is full of compassion, as we read, in Psalm 112, the man who has pity on others. He's outward looking and he's thinking about other people and he has pity on them, especially those who are suffering, those who are going uh, through difficult times, those who are in a miserable state. Now, friends, as we read uh, this particular beatitude, I have to say at the outset, outset that this, is, this verse is not, not teaching us something that so often people read into it. And it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And that you may think of it in terms of, well, I must first forgive other people, and then God will forgive me. And if I don't forgive other people, then God will not forgive me. It's sort of made like a condition. God is only going to forgive me if I uh, forgive uh, those who offend me and uh, those who re wrong me. If I withhold forgiveness, then God is going to withhold pardon from me. Well, friends, if we uh, think in this way, it actually would make it uh, a work. It would make uh, this particular thing uh, a work of a condition for salvation, a meritorious work, something that you have to do in order for God to bless you. If you take it in that sort of a context, you're, you're saying, well, I can actually earn God's favor because God will see, oh, this person, he is forgiving all those who offend him, so I should forgive him. He deserves to be forgiven. But you know, grace doesn't work like that. The Christian way of salvation doesn't reward people according to what they deserve. Salvation is by grace. It's unearned. It's a free gift. 
that God gives to undeserving people, not those who deserve it. You may think of, of, it, think of this verse also, or have that same thought rather, when you read Matthew 18. And you know there, there's the parable of the unforgiving servant, uh, which the Lord uh, uh, told. There was that king, and uh, one of his servants uh, owed him 10,000 ta talents, and the, the king said to him, pay me what you owe me. And he said, I can't pay. I haven't got enough to pay. Be merciful to me. So the king forgave him all his debt. Now what that, that servant did is he went out and he found his fellow servant. And his fellow servant owed him just a pittance in comparison to what he had owed the king. And he, he, he said, pay me what you owe me to, to, to the king, to his fellow servant rather. And his fellow servant got down on his knees and he begged him and he pleaded with him and he said, I haven't got enough to pay you. Uh, give me time. Uh, give, me, give me space. Let me, I will pay you in due time. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't forgive his fellow servant. He wouldn't be merciful towards uh, his fellow servant. He denied him time. He demanded that he pay him. Well, when the king heard about this, he was most upset. And he repealed the pardon that he had given to that person. And the Lord said at the end of that parable, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone, uh, his brother, their trespasses. So you, one may think, well, that's saying exactly the same, isn't it, as, as this. For you must be forgiving, otherwise God won't forgive you. You must forgive others, their trespasses, otherwise God will not forgive you. Is that what this is teaching? I can, in a sense, earn God's forgiveness by first forgiving others? Well, before we answer that question, uh, we, must, we must remember, when we are reading the Scriptures, and we have come to some sort of a conclusion when we're interpreting, uh, say, this verse or that parable, we have to remember, friends, that we must always cross-check our conclusions, our, our interpretation by other scriptures. Is, it, is what I've come to here, is my understanding of what is being said in this text said in other, in other verses? Is that, does that tally with all the other scriptures? Uh, scripture interprets a, a scripture. So I have to check my, what I have come to, my conclusion, against that established uh, word of God, against the whole body of truth, to make sure I'm along the right path and I've got the right understanding of this particular verse. So what I need to do is to check my interpretation against the doctrines of the faith. We call it the analogy of the faith. That those things which are sure and uh, are held uh, by, uh, by the church, by, by believers, down through the centuries. We, we check our interpretation against the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is what our church holds to. And if you've never read it, do read it, because they have summarized all the important doctrines that we believe and are, that, are, that cannot be changed, that we hold to. And when you check what is, is mentioned there, uh, what your interpretation against that uh, confession of faith, you can come to a conclusion. Well, is it, does it tally? If it does, well, you can accept uh, your uh, conclusion. If it doesn't, well, it's something that needs to be rejected and you need to ask yourself, well, I've got it wrong here. Uh, what, 
what is the what I need to do a little bit more a study upon this uh, m this matter. Now, when we do this cross-checking uh, with this idea that f forgiveness from God is conditional upon me first forgiving other people, I have to say it conflicts, it contradicts that body of truth that we hold to. The plain teaching of Scripture, as we said already, is that salvation is by grace and by grace alone. Always it's, it's like this. So I cannot, if I, I'm making this a work, I cannot uh, accept my initial thinking and understanding of this text. But what about that parable? What about that parable of the unforgiving servant? Well, in that parable, what the Lord is showing is that there is a person who, was nev who never genuinely repented. The unmerciful servant is a person who never genuinely turned from his sins. He never genuinely received a, a, a forgiveness from God and a change of life. Because if a, he is a true believer, he will be a forgiving person. He will be a merciful person. If he had truly repented and truly believed in the Lord and had a change of heart, he would have gone out and very easily and uh, uh, simply forgiven that servant, his fellow servant. He wouldn't have been so hard-hearted and refused uh, to uh, forgive as he did there, uh, to cancel that debt. And it's the same thought here in verse uh, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Is the man, this is, we're talking about, a man who's not trying to become a Christian, is not doing these things to try and become a believer. He already is, as we've said so many times. These are traits that every believer has. Uh, he is already a believer. He's received mercy first from the Lord, and he extends that to other people. Uh, he has received forgiveness from the Lord, and he extends that to others. So it's describing a believer, for they shall obtain mercy, or we'll come to that uh, in uh, due time. Now this uh, fifth beatitude uh, follows on uh, very nicely from the previous four. Here is this believer, this merciful man, but God has already worked in his heart uh, first. He's come to see uh, his spiritual emptiness and his spiritual poverty before God. He's mourned over it in the secret places. He's, it's, it's grieved him that he's in, been in that kind of a condition. condition. Self-importance and pride has now taken a very permanent dent in his life, and he's not as uh, proud as he, he used to be, and he doesn't strut around like an ostrich with his head up high uh, anymore. He's different now. He's a humble man. He is uh, one who hungers and thirsts now after the Savior. He, he wants to be, he sees his, his shortcomings, his failures, his deformities, and his spiritual deformities, and he longs to be like his Savior. And then he's also been uh, enriched by grace. Though he's seen his poverty, he also knows he is uh, rich in grace, and he's experienced in his soul the comforts and the consolations of God, the comforts that come from high within him. He's found peace with God. He's found joy in the Lord. He's found blessing in meekness. He's been filled with answers to prayer, and he's known, he's known some measure of advance. But these first four uh, tend to be more inward-looking 
and to be more personal with the man and his God. Even with meekness, it's how he handles uh, what other people say to him. But this here, he's beginning to look outward. He's beginning to think more about other people. He's beginning to be conscious more of his fellow man. And he looks on them and he feels for other people. And he has never felt like this before. A conversion grace has made him a merciful man. He wasn't like that so much before. He is now by the grace of God. He's turned in a different direction. This is what God has done. Oh friends, if my religion, if my profession of faith in Christ is only just me and, and me and God, me and, uh, me and my prayer life and my, my reading the scriptures, it needs re-examining. Be, keep your religion to yourself, the world says, says to us, isn't it? Keep it yourself, don't talk to us about these things. But the true believer, he cannot do that. He cannot keep his religion to himself. His faith must be expressed in words, in life. It, it comes out. In action, it's going to come out. If it's something is there, it's going to be seen in his life, in the way he handles uh, situations in life, in the way he deals and treats with other people. It's going to be seen. It can't be hidden. This is a light that just cannot be hidden. It's got to come out if something is there. And mercy is what what comes out in this particular case we're seeing. The true believer expresses mercy. Love in action uh, is one of these uh, evidences that he is truly a, be a believer, that he is truly born again. You remember what the Apostle John said uh, in his, uh, his letter, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, as one of the marks of a, a true believer, whoso hath this world's goods and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? It cannot be, he said. If you're a true a Christian, he's saying, there will be compassion. You won't shut up your bowels of compassion. It's irreconcilable to do that and be a believer at the same time. That's what John is saying. So then mercy, friends, how shall we define a mercy? A sense of compassion, a feeling of pity towards others, especially those uh, who are in need, especially those uh, who are uh, suffering. And uh, not just, it's not just a feeling, it's also a desire uh, to relieve and to be of help to that person and to do something to bring relief to that person. It's pity and action combined. That's what mercy is. That's what the biblical definition of mercy is. You know, many people, they, they maybe see on TV the, the, uh, an earthquake and, uh, or a, a famine and appeals are made and, and they see and they feel sorry when they see all those pictures. But they, that's it. They stop there. They never open their, their hands and give, make a donation or something. That would be better. And that's, uh, that's what mercy is. Mercy is that feeling of pity and uh, compassion for others and doing, trying to do something to, uh, to help and to alleviate uh, their, their, their grief. Uh, somebody said uh, words along this line when talking about uh, the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is especially associated with men in their sins. Mercy is especially associated with men 
in their misery. And that's well put. Well, we see, friends, uh, mercy in the parable, isn't it, of the Good Samaritan, which Christ taught. There was that poor man. He was uh, making his way out of Jerusalem to Jericho. And uh, he, uh, robbers uh, attacked him and jumped on him and uh, uh, stripped him of all his clothes, took all his belongings from him, everything precious that he had, almost uh, took his life for him, from him because they battered him and left him there on the road, uh, bruised and dying, wounded, at the end, almost at the end of his life. And he was there helpless. Who could help him? He was there on that road, left to die. And then a, a priest came along, and he looked at him from afar, and he went on, and the Levite came, he looked a bit closer and went on. Maybe they felt some pity. Who couldn't, seeing him in that condition? They must have felt something for him. But they didn't do anything about it. They went on. It was too troublesome, too inconvenient to get involved. But then along came a Samaritan. And this Samaritan saw, saw this man. His heart went out to him. He was full of pity for him. He got off his beast. He attended to him. He attended to his wounds. He poured in the oil and the wine. He gave of his time uh, to this man. He didn't think twice about it. He put the man on his beast, took him to an inn, and uh, looked after him overnight, and then told the innkeeper, look after him, and I'll give you whatever uh, financial uh, expenses are required to take care of him. This, is, this was love in action. That's a perfect description of mercy. He showed mercy uh, to uh, that man. Well, friends, what about Christ? <laughs> what about Christ? Uh, we see pity and action in Christ's ministry again and again and again. Remember, there was that Canaanite woman who came to him, and she was in a desperate condition because her, her daughter uh, was uh, possessed with a devil, and she longed for her deliverance, as any mother would feel for, uh, for her child. Well, she's tried everything, but no one can help her. Who can deliver her? Christ can. And so she goes to him and pleads with him. Well, Christ would have felt for her. Christ, when he, when he heard about her situation, he felt pity that she, is, she and her daughter are in this dreadful state. And he does something for her. He delivers her daughter from the demon and he restores her peace in that home and happiness to that young child and her mother. And there were those two uh, blind men there on the on the road, and they, as the Lord is passing by, they cried out, Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy, have pity upon us. Will He have pity? Of course He will. He won't pass by people who cry out to Him for mercy. He'll hear that kind of a cry. Have mercy upon us. He saw them, these blind men. Oh, they were, they were reduced now because of their blindness to begging. They were reduced to, perhaps to poverty. They had to be led about. Enjoyment, happiness has been taken from them because of this, this uh, disease that has happened to them. He felt for them. that they are, what, is, what kind of a life are they going to live? It's not like people today who are blind, who can manage their life, they were so hard, and he could see these things in a moment of time, and it moved him and stirred him, and he gave them their sight. He gave them their sight. This is, this is what Christ is, like, merciful, compassionate, and he does something about it. Oh, friends, 
Every single healing of Jesus Christ that he did was preceded by pity for the person that he ministered to. Every single one. There was no just blasé, sort of cold healing with him. There was no like one patient, another patient, another patient. There was no life. It was feeling for each individual person. You remember as well Luke's, uh, sorry, Zechariah's prophecy in Luke chapter 1 and verse 78. Uh, Zechariah being the father of John the Baptist. And uh, he, he said these words in his prophecy, through the tender mercy of our God, the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. That's Christ. The tender mercy of our God. Why did God send Jesus Christ into the world to die for sinners? Because he felt for us in our lost and fallen condition. He saw us as helpless, lost, destined for an eternal hell without him. And he saw that our lives were miserable and would be miserable forever. And he determined to do something about it. But he was preceded by pity for us and compassion for us. Oh, friends, it was God's pity for fallen men and women that moved him to enter into that covenant with his son. It was God's mercy for fallen men and women that caused him to put into place that plan of redemption. It was God's mercy for us, his pity over us, that caused him to send his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die on Calvary's cross. As Isaac Watts, the hymn writer, put it, he saw the nations lie, all perishing in sin, and pitied the sad state this ruined world was in. Ruined world, ruined lives. God sees it, feels for us, and he does something about it. He's not a God who's unaware, far away, as people say. Some people say, unconcerned, no friends. This is what he has done uh, uh, as a caring God, the compassionate God. He is the God full of compassion. Well, friends, how does this apply then to us? How can we uh, see what does a merciful man in practice uh, look like? Blessed are the merciful. Well, firstly, we could say about him that he feels for the poor and the needy. He feels for the poor and needy. Usually we talk about the spiritual and we must emphasize that, but also we cannot neglect a person's practical needs. Uh, this uh, merciful man, well, he's a sympathetic, sympathetic man and he wants to bring relief where he can and where he has the power to do so to those even uh, who are in physical needs, those who are the poor. Do you remember the words of the Lord? Uh, Christ said, the poor you have with you always. And again, Paul, uh, when he was in Jerusalem, the other apostles said to him, oh, you, we must remember the poor. And Paul was in full agreement. Alongside the preaching of the gospel, there was efforts made to uh, alleviate the poor of those believers especially. You remember as well Romans 15 and verse uh, 26 uh, Paul was talking about how the churches at Macedonia and Achaia had made a special collection for whom? A special collection in those churches had taken place 
not for the rich believers in Jerusalem, but the poor believers in Jerusalem, the poor saints at Jerusalem. So there was this concern uh, to uh, help the poor brethren. And so with the, the meek man, sorry, the merciful man, he gives of his substance, he gives of his income to help others, especially to those who are his brothers and sisters in Christ. He thinks about practical needs. He's not only just thinking about the soul, he's also thinking about people's bodies. He cares for both. You, you know, I'm sure, the name George Muller. George Muller in 1836, he lived uh, in that time period. Well, he was living in Bristol, and in Bristol, uh, as well as in London at that time, there were a great number of orphans who had to fend for themselves. There were no organizations looking, up, looking for, after them, care, caring for them. There was no social benefit they could, they could make themselves, avail themselves of. They were left to fend and take care of themselves. And George Muller, seeing these young boys and young girls on the streets, well, he felt for them. And he did something about that. His mercy went extended to uh, in, uh, taking many of them, initially young girls, into uh, his home. But then, he he, there were so many, he decided to expand the work. And he ended up having five homes in Bristol, which accommodated some 2,000 people, 2,000 uh, children. And it was said that in his lifetime, he cared for, wait for this, 10,000, over 10,000 children. Uh, 10,000 orphans he cared for, he and his wife. Tremendous work. What a work this Christian man uh, has done. Uh, in, and you know how he, how he depended on God for everything. He never told man about his needs. If you've never read his life, well, you should read it. Well, friends, Spurgeon there in London, who lived around the same time, but later, uh, inspired by, by George Muller, well, he, had, he did something very similar for the orphans in London as well and took uh, them in and had orphanages there. Acts of mercy affecting even our, the communities in which they lived. And so also we can make a difference to people's lives. Then also this merciful man, we can say, he forgives personal offenses. He overlooks uh, those petty and trivial offenses that are made against him. He doesn't take everything as something crushing and something that is so uh, tremendous. He has to deal with it. No, he lets them go. If it's small, a small word, a small infraction, a small offense, he's not going to get all uptight about it. He's not going to get all uh, uh, upset about it and become all, all grumpy about it and, and stop speaking to his, his wife or his spouse or his children and begins to sulk about it. He's not going to act like this over some small and petty thing. He's not going to get resentful over uh, uh, tiny things and stew over them the whole night. It's small. The, the merciful man overlooks those things. Uh, he, he bypasses them. He, has a, uh, his, he engages blind eye and deaf ear uh, many times during the day. So it doesn't uh, affect him and he doesn't, uh, he, he's aware of it, but he, he doesn't take it uh, to heart. This is what uh, he is like. Of course, if it's a more serious offense, then they, they might need, uh, there should be a, uh, an apology or 
But he's always there. He's ready to stand to forgive. He's willing to forgive. That's the thing about him. If the other person sins against him seven times a day, but seven times a day is, is apologetic and willing and acknowledges their sin, he's there. He's ready to forgive. He's a merciful uh, person. Oh, friends, our homes would be a more peaceful place if we just bore this in mind that petty things can be uh, overlooked and don't have to be brought up. Oh, but I like to get it off my, my chest. I like to, you know, I'm that kind of a person. I just have to say it. Don't say it. <laughs> don't be that kind of a, a person. But that's just the way that I am. Oh, don't be just the way that you are. Be the way God wants you to be. That's what you should be. We, if we all just did everything that we wanted to do, <laughs> you know, it would be, we, everyone would be, we wouldn't be conforming to what the Lord wants us to be. But we, we keep it in because we know it's going to maintain the peace and it's not worth bothering about. And we soon forget about it and get used to treating things in this way. Oh, friends, then we move on. The merciful man feels for his fellow believers. Of course he does. He must. He's in now in God's family. He has brothers and sisters who are so close to him and their concerns are his concerns and he weeps with them when they weep he rejoices with them when they rejoice but he also weeps with them and, and he's with them in their trials and he's concerned uh, about them and the things that are happening in their lives when one member of the church uh, suffers all the other members suffer alongside with them and Paul said in Hebrews 13, 3, Remember them that are in bonds, those who are in chains, those who are in prison, as though you are bound with them. That's the kind of feeling we are to have even with people who are in prison. So friends, if, uh, if you know, if you've injured your thumb or you've injured your toe, uh, then your whole body is sensitive to that particular pain. Or if one person, one member of the family, uh, if mum is in hospital and uh, she's seriously ill in hospital, well, the whole family, the father, the children, the grandchildren, they're all concerned about, about mum. And is she going to get better? Is she okay? That we must pray for her. We must try and help her. We must do what we can. We must visit her. We must encourage her. We must uh, try and uh, get alongside her. That's what happens, isn't it? Naturally speaking. Uh, in the world, and so it is uh, even uh, with in the church. The merciful man, well, he feels for his brothers and sisters. He prays and he encourages them. And then the merciful man feels, we should say as well lastly, for the souls of all men, not just the believers, they especially, and especially they in his local church, has a special attention, but he feels pity for the souls of all men and women. He sees the damage that sin has done to men and women. He sees them in their miserable state, and he feels pity for them. He doesn't say, serves you right. <laughs> you, shouldn't have, you shouldn't be such a rebel, because he was once a rebel. You spoiled your own life. It's, it's your doing. You, lay your, you made your bed. You can lie in it. He doesn't see, think like that. Uh, of other believers, oh, sorry, of, of, of those who are lost. It's like a wrecked car after a car, after a car crash. And uh, we saw one only this morning. Uh, 
badly damaged, but some cars, you know, after a crash, they're a complete write-off. Well, he sees people's lives like that. People's lives are wrecked. People's lives, you could say, naturally speaking, it's a write-off. But there is the gospel. There is God. He can change that life. He can fix that life. He can repair that person's life. He can do all these things. Oh, but they got themselves into their own mess. It's, it's their responsibility. Let them get themselves out, out of that mess. No, the believer doesn't think like that. He thinks differently. Oh, I got myself into my mess, and the Lord was merciful to me. I said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have pity upon me. Help me. Change me. I'm in a terrible mess. And the Lord heard that cry. And so he thinks the same of others. And so he prays for other people's salvation. This is a concern for him. His mercifulness makes him intercede on behalf of the people that are unsaved around him. And he makes efforts to witness to them, to tell them about Jesus Christ who can save them and who can change them and to bring them to Christ. Spurgeon said, uh, what we need is warm-hearted Christians who bring others to Jesus. Warm-hearted. That's where it begins, friends. It begins when we feel, we see their state, we feel for them, then do something to help them and to bring them to Christ. Is it a lack of pity, friends, for the lost? Is that a reason why so many don't get involved in Christian service or Christian witness? If it's so, friends, the Lord may, may withhold a blessing uh, even from us. But then I close uh, with the second part. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What does that mean? Well, they've already received mercy from the Lord, but they shall continue to receive mercy from the Lord. So when they pray daily as they do, Lord, I confess my sins to you. Forgive my sins. The Lord, uh, uh, the, the sins of today, the Lord will forgive those sins because that person uh, has uh, been uh, uh, has, uh, has extended mercy and forgiveness to others. Lord will forgive us if we are if we are, have unforgiveness in our hearts. It may affect our prayers. It may hinder our prayers. So we want to, uh, at the same time, forgive those who sin against us. But then this verse also, we could take it to mean that when the believer is in trouble, he has this promise to fall back on. He can fall back and, and say to the Lord, Lord, I'm in trouble now, but you've said in your word that the merciful man shall obtain mercy. Lord, by your grace I've been able previously to help so-and-so and to... Uh, draw alongside such and such a person when they were in trouble. I know I did it because of your grace. I take no credit for it, Lord. But Lord, you've said, if I've been merciful, then you would show me mercy. Help me in this particular trouble that I'm in in life, for which I can see a no way out. I will I, I plead this before you. You can use it in that way. There's nothing wrong in doing that, as long as you don't take any glory to yourself. But then also, if you've been merciful to others, it's going to come back to you, isn't it? If you've been outgoing and helping other people, when you're in trouble, when you're in need, 
your friends and your brethren around you will come alongside you because they've felt and received something from you. But especially, friends, we need mercy on one particular day. Do you know which day that is? That day when you and I stand before God. At that particular time is when we will, we will need mercy from the Lord on the day of judgment. You remember Paul's words uh, to, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16 about Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus, uh, who had ministered to Paul in many ways and in many things, and Paul said this of him, The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. That's what we need, friends. We need to be assured that when we go to be with the Lord, when we go before the Lord on that day of judgment, He will be merciful to us and He will pity us. And if we, will, if we are trusting in Christ, it will be so because we have known it uh, here uh, in uh, this life. So this is our message uh, for today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I close with this. Somebody said, mercy is twice blessed. It blesses him that gives and it blesses him that takes. Well, let's close by singing our final hymn, which is number 574, A Debtor to Mercy Alone, 574.